All right, let's stand up and let's give God some praise this Sunday morning. This wonderful Sunday morning. Let's give him glory and honor for he's worthy. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We just put everything else about our, away, out of our mind, out of our thoughts, all the, the busy things of this world. And focus everything we've got on the King because he's worthy of it all. Amen. Shine 
Just a word Suddenly I'm not afraid Cause you speak Free ways There is hope And every single word you say I don't want to miss one word you speak Everything you say is a lie to me. Oh, oh, oh. I don't want to miss one word you speak. Quiet my heart and listen to to the cross and bring our focus to the cross your word is true your word is true and you put it at the forefront of your mind the throne of God and you lay everything else aside and spend this time right now just worshiping Telling him how much you hang on every word he says. Telling him how much your very breath depends on him. Oh, 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 yeah. The sun rolls, roll, the troubles rage. You whisper peace. When I don't have the words to say, I won't lose hope, the songs won't break, you keep your word, oh and your promises will keep me safe, I don't want to miss one word you speak, cause everything you say is life to
open our hearts to you this morning, God. And Lord, let our prayer be this morning, God, that we want to burn for you, Jesus. We want to burn for you, Jesus. Only you.
candle has to have a wick. The light has to have a wick. You have to be submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The fire has to burn something. The fire has to burn something. It's the only way that it can be purified. It's the only way your life can be purified. It's the only way your heart can be purified. His love. The fire and the heat that has turned up and all the dross and trash raises to the top. And only the Father can skim it off. But you have to allow Him to turn it up. You have to allow Him to light you aflame.
place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Here in your love, here in your love. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Here in your love, here in your love. Set a fire in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you,
waiting for. He said, I am not he. He said, I'm simply one, a voice crying in the wilderness. He said, but the one who comes after me, he said, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. He said, he will baptize you with Holy Ghost fire. And we sing in the song, I want more, I want more, I want more. But I, as, as we were singing that, I, I, I don't, sorry, this is the way my mind works sometimes. I see things and picture it and realize God's trying to show something. That is
next moment or two, can we just sing this again? Use it as a prayer and ask God to show you, is there anything that needs to be removed from inside your life and your heart and your thinking and your attitude, your actions, whatever, that, that's preventing more of Him? John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must
now. Let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you for the calling. Thank you for the sacrifice of their time. Thank you, Father, for the willingness their heart to go. God, this is going to be a God experience week for them. As, it, as they witness your hand touching those children. God, you said, unless we come as a child, have the faith of a child, that we, we, we can't even see the kingdom of God. God, we're going to see children being touched powerfully by the spirit of the living God moving in such ways. I believe, I believe miraculous events are going to take place. And I pray that when they come back, this couple comes back and all those kids come back, there will be overflow portion when those kids head back to their homes they just they're going to be like bringing buckets of, of the presence of God and, and, and bringing it to their homes and their neighborhoods and their friends and family members Lord God let it pour out let it pour out, let it pour out, let it pour out, pour out, pour it out, pour out, pour out. Pour it out. Open the heavens and let it pour out. Pour it out. To the glory of the kingdom of God. Pour it out.
Just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> I know, that's strange. That's what they said. It comes right back. Boom. Doesn't exist. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glad to be here today. Wow. More people than what I expected. I knew it was like kind of for holiday weekend, you know, and uh, 4th of July is Tuesday, but I figured, well, a lot of folks are gone, and I know a lot of folks that are gone and traveling, so I'm glad you're here today. I'm here today. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good to be seen. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to get right into this message this morning, and I'm reading from Proverbs 29 and 2. And it says, uh, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. And I'm going to be addressing a topic simply titled Christian Nationalism. Now, I've been doing a series of messages on current events and, and, and a Christian's biblical response First week we talked about the sexual revolution that's been taking place in our nation in the last number of years. Last week I talked about racism and, and what that is and, and, and the Christian's response to that. And this was, I was actually this week going to be minister along the lines of in, uh, um, justice and what is known today in terms of social, social justice and how that lines up with biblical justice, what the Bible says. But I, then in the middle of the week, I thought the 4th of July is coming up. And, and this is a topic that, how, let, let me ask you, how many Christians, how many of you in here have heard this phrase used before? Maybe a fourth of you. Maybe a third. Um, and so it is a hot-button topic. And I felt like since the fourth is right around the corner that I would insert this before going on to the next one on social, social justice. Because this is something, um, there's an agenda behind this. And we need to, we need to be, as Christians, keenly aware of the issues at hand that we have a biblical understanding of it and and I may say a few things that may surprise a few of you this morning but if you'll listen to the end you'll understand because I always want to bring the application to it and uh, several years ago I actually preached a message called the Christian Patriot and and I went in and dug into a lot of the things that our forefathers and founders of our nation and documents about that and what it means to be a Christian patriot. <clears throat> in fact, um, I love history, and if you know anything about the American Revolutionary War um, and how close America came to not being what it is today, I mean, the nation it is, it, it, it is almost frightening to go back and read it. But in uh, Thomas Paine, who was one of the founding fathers of our nation, in December of 1776, he began to write a series of small pamphlets that were instrumental in fostering the spirit of freedom and breaking the hold of tyranny from Britain that was being forced upon the American colonies. 
And George Washington at Valley Forge uh, on December 23rd was so inspired by the first one that came out that he demanded that it be read to all of his troops um, as they literally were on the verge of all quitting and, and, giving, and surrendering and giving up. And the first part of the first paragraph reads like this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. He says, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of men and women. There's, there's much more to this that I could have read, but I, I just want to focus in on that one part that he talks about, the sunshine patriot. He's using the word patriot, patriotism. You remember a week or so ago I told you that, there, there, that uh, the, the media and those in, in, the, in the liberal agent, with liberal agendas, they take certain words and meanings and they'll, they'll turn it ever so slightly to make it sound like it's the same thing. For example, I pointed out that our Constitution and Bill of Rights talks about the freedom of religion but in court cases and things that have come up in many, over the last many years, they argue the freedom of worship. One's totally different. In fact, during the COVID shut lockdown, um, there were churches, large churches, that stood up against it in different states saying, you cannot shut us down. And they were saying, well, we're allowing you to worship uh, you say you don't need to have a building to worship, but really what it was was the clamping down of the freedom of religion because the freedom of religion is the, the ability to practice our faith as it is written in this book. And one of the things it says in the book is, is, is forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Um, so, but my, my point in that, and I'm not talking about the COVID thing, but I'm just saying they almost always now you'll see in the media about articles that come up about the freedom of worship versus the freedom of religion. In fact, this week, uh, a, a number of Supreme Court rulings came down and the liberal left on some of them are freaking out because they ruled in favor of certain Christians and the, course, the cases that they had brought before them. One was a postal worker who had who said that he was being not allowed to practice his faith by having Sunday off, whereas before they had given him Sunday off. And, and over the years that changed and, and he said, but other people are able to get off for their faith, but Christians were being picked, pointed out. Another one was a website designer who was being challenged to f being forced to make a wedding website for a couple of, of same-sex marriage. And she said that was a violation of her faith, freedom of speech and the Supreme Court ruled in her favor. So now all of a sudden, the, the, the left is screaming and yelling about Christians are being favored. Christians are being favored. Uh, and that's not really so at all. In fact, this 
this statement right here is these are trying times that will try our souls. They will, they will try us to see who we really are. And, and Christians in America who hold the ideals of our founders are no longer considered patriots. They don't use the word patriot or patriotism anymore in that regard. Instead, the liberal left has coined this phrase um, Christian nationalist. Now, they're using it interchangeably, but there's a distinct difference between what a nationalist is and what a patriot is. I'm going to break that down. I know some of you are going, well, I don't come to church for this kind of stuff. Well, then walk around with your head stuck in the sand. And, and not understand what's going on. You need to be aware and because you have to be able to respond in a biblical way. Um, Christian nationalist is a term that is mostly used in the media by um, uh, people with uh, leftist or liberal agendas. As a, it's a term that is used to smear conservative Christians who defend the role of religion in American public life. So to understand what's dividing our nation, uh, polarizing it, we have to have a biblical response. You have to identify the basic principles. So let's, real quick if I can, what is patriotism, okay? And patriotism, by definition, are you going to look it up, several of them? It's basically going to go along this line. That patriotism is an appropriate love that Christians, along with their fellow citizens, in other words, Christians and non-Christians, have toward their country. I, I was raised in a military home. My father was in the military for 32 years. I still get choked up when I hear like the national anthem or my country tis of thee, or America the beautiful, or, or I see a military parade, and just this week conducted a funeral for a veteran, and I, they came and took the flag and folded it. My, man, my heart just kind of skipped a beat in that, you know? Um, C.S. Lewis wrote about this. It was interesting. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the, the Book of Narnia and, and so many other different writings, he said, concerning patriotism, he said this. He said, patriotic love for country isn't aggressive. It does not dominate or demand uniformity. Instead, patriotism includes a sense of camaraderie with other Americans and leads us to cheer and chant for the USA in the Olympics and then wish the best for everyone, win or lose. You know, there's nothing wrong with going. Uh, you know, I, I, I like sports. I like those things. And I like international competitions because you have th that international kind of thing. You know, I, I'm a golfer, and, and I love to watch the Ryder Cup when it's the, it, um, the U.S. golfers versus the European golfers or golfers from Africa or South Africa or wherever they may be. And when the, when the, the crowds are cheering USA, USA, you know, that's patriotic. That's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. So that's patriotism. So what is Christian patriotism? Well, Ephesians chapter 3 and 20 says, but our citizenship 
is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Christian patriotism? It's simply Christians who recognize that they are citizens of heaven first and citizens of America second. I'm telling you, I've seen it for years in the church. They have the idea that God loves America more than any place else. Because we have so many blessings. I want to tell you, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And there is a judgment day coming. So Christian patriotism is simply that um, a people who, that we have more in common with Christians of, in, of, of other nationalities and ethnicities than maybe non-Christians of, of our own neighborhood. But we recognize that we are a part of this country, but this is not our home. Our citizenship is elsewhere. I remember in 1992 when I took a missions team to uh, Venezuela and there was a government coup attempt. And we were under house arrest in a hotel for several days. And, and, and there were many on that trip who had never been out of the country before. And they were saying they would never, ever go again. But there are several of us who had been many times. And this was not our first time that there was a military attempt or overthrow or something like this. We'd seen stuff like this before. But I can tell you that when we finally got out of the U.S. and they told us that we were in international, you know, air, uh, waters, and when we landed in Miami, myself and others, when we got out, kissed the ground. We were glad to be an American. And we were glad to be home. There's nothing wrong with that. I recognize that if I had died in Venezuela, I would have been in my home that I'm looking for. But I'm glad I'm here right now. You know, so that, that's what Christian patriotism is, okay? Our citizenship's in heaven, and, and we're citizens of America second. So what is nationalism? Well, I go to the dictionary, I went to several different dictionaries, looked it up, and here's what Merriam-Webster's di dictionary said concerning the term nationalism. And it refers to the loyalty and devotion to a nation, especially a sense of national consciousness, exalting one nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on the promotion of its culture and interest as opposed to those of other nations or multinational groups. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying here? So there's definitely a difference between patriotism and nationalism. Patriotism is we're all of one country and we're all Americans and we can all appreciate one another, okay? And we love our country. We're thankful. I'm thankful that I was born here. There's some of you, you've been born, you were born someplace else and your citizenship may be someplace else. And that's great. That's wonderful. My grandparents came from 
uh, Nova Scotia on my mom's side. My, my grandparents on my dad's side came from Italy. You know, but nationalism is the concept that exalts one nation over all nations and that its primary emphasis is on the promotion of that culture and interest as opposed to other nations around them. And, and while it's similar to patriotism in a way, the difference is that it elevates one nation over every other nation. Just for history's sake, for example, Adolf Hitler's rise in Germany was accomplished by perverting patriotism and then embracing nationalism. It's, it's very easy to go from being a patriot to a nationalist if you don't understand the difference. So what is Christian nationalism? Here's the problem. There is no broad, agreed-upon definition anywhere right now of what Christian nationalism is. And yet it's being used constantly in the media and by many in political circles that are trying to put forth an agenda. The term is used today in the media as mostly a rhetorical tool to smear and silence conservatives. In fact, it's the lack of a standard definition that allows critics to bundle evils like white supremacy and racism with those who support standard conservative views on marriage and family, school curricula and politics. They just lump it all together. Anything they don't like, they put under this term, this phrase, Christian nationalism. And it's primarily a term that is used to define and, and wielded in such a way in order to marginalize conservative groups, Christians, who are pro-life, pro-traditional marriage, uh, 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 that affirm gender roles and love America. They just put them all in there and go, they're, they're all white supremacists, they're all, you know, this, and this is all evil. And they purport that Christian nationalism is being used to, that, that the people who call themselves Christian are really Christian nationalists. And, and, and the idea behind that is that it's a blending of Christian faith and American ideals and they're making it one and trying to force it on everybody. That's what's going on out there, okay? And so Wikipedia, of course, we know they're, they're the authority on everything, right? <laughs> but here's what they say Christian nationalism is, that it is primarily focused on internal politics, such as passing laws that reflect the view of Christianity and its role in political and social life. So you, everybody who's on the internet goes to Wikipedia and says, oh, well, Christian nationalism, people who are involved in politics, and they just want to change all the laws, and they want, to, they want to enforce their faith and their beliefs and all of these things on it. And is it true? No, it's not true. Because theologically speaking, listen to me, everyone, no matter what faith, votes for laws that reflect their moral values, which are influenced 
primarily by religious beliefs. Even atheists cast votes based on their beliefs, based on their moral values. So the idea that somehow being a Christian makes you a Christian nationalist and that you're trying to force people to believe your beliefs is so anti-biblical. In fact, there's not a single national candidate that's ever truly ran on that kind of a platform that says that if I get elected as a Christian, I'm going to change all the laws and everybody will have to become a Christian. You know when that happened last? When Constantine became ruler, became a Christian. And he didn't do it overnight, he did it over time. But he basically changed the rule of what, the definition of what a Christian was and required that if you were going to do business or anything, you, you had to be a Christian. And little by little, so everybody that was outside of Christian circles automatically came into without repentance, without baptism, without faith in Christ and everything else. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it that's really going on? What is it that's being purported? What is Christian, uh, Christian nationalism? And, and James 1, 8, 19 and 20 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. And so in my research, there are basically three camps, if I can put it that way, of forms of Christian nationalism. And I want to try and go through those kind of quick if I can. The one that is, we're going to have the good, bad, and ugly, okay, of these three camps. And the first one is simply the, the influence of Christianity in American civil life. And so for, for, for many Christians, the idea of Christian nationalism simply implies that Christianity has influenced and should continue to influence our nation. They argue that America was founded on Christian principles. The Declaration of Independence affirms all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay? So such a, such a, a principles worthy of Christian support alongside biblical view of issues of marriage and sexuality and abortion. Our nation would be improved by affirming the goodness of these natural laws. But this form of Christian nationalism does not try to dominate the political process or make the nation completely Christian. Its, its concept is that we were founded on Christian ideals, and we, as Christians, our purpose here is to be a light on a hill and that we are to influence through the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel, the sharing of God's word, we are to influence a nation. In fact, that is what the gospel is all about. It is, seeks to bring change by persuasion. Every place that the apostle Paul went, what would he first do? He'd always go to the synagogue, and then he would begin to preach and try and persuade those that were there. The reason with them through the scriptures, persuade them 
that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world, Messiah who was to come. He says, we, we preach the gospel. And when he, when he stood before King Agrippa, King Agrippa says, Paul, you almost persuade me to believe you. And he said, oh, that I wish you would. <laughs> See, because he reasoned with him, he, he persuaded with him. He didn't, he didn't pass laws that demanded every single person call themselves a Christian. Instead of trying to overthrow the government, those who believe in this type of, if we can use the term Christian nationalism, is to advocate their cause by supporting laws, electing candidates, writing, podcasting, whatever, developing think tanks. But they're, 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 stern, they're steady in their beliefs, and they're not going to back down, but they're not going to beat you over the head either. Okay? Religion will always have a place in politics. Listen to me. Everyone has a religion they promote. It's not just Christians that vote their beliefs. And the best form of Christian nationalism advocates for Christian principles, just like secular nationalism advocates for secular principles. Can I, can I say that again? Listen, the idea that we're trying to pass laws to force on people is not true. We're trying to pass laws that would be good and right for society and culture. But the other side is doing the just the they're doing the same thing, but in the opposite direction. They're trying to pass laws and force it upon the whole of our nation and cause us to that we would have to bow our knee to it. The second form or camp of Christian nationalism is bad, and it's it's a fusion of Christianity and American civil life. And what I mean by that is that a fusion means Christianity and American life should merge. In other words, they believe that the political process should be overhauled to serve God, and that the laws of the United States should be explicitly Christian. Now, that sounds good on the outside, but there's three flaws in that, and I want to go through that real quick, okay? And the first one is simply that it contradicts the Christian teaching of being a living witness. Jesus did not say, go forth into all the world and by any means force people to become my disciples. He said, go into all the world and be a witness of who I am. Okay? Christ's kingdom is to be advocated by persuasion, not by power. Now, don't get me wrong there. I, be, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders is part of the persuasion. Okay? But what I'm saying here is that his kingdom is to be brought forth by persuasion, not by authoritative rule, not by military might or force, okay? I just want to clear that up because I don't want anybody going out going, Pastor, don't believe in miracles no more. Well, then I wouldn't be looking at one every time I, I look in the mirror. Come on now. 
Conversion must be a free choice. Not instituted by command, not compelled by, by man's law. I, I would that they be compelled by the Spirit where they would cry out as they did on the day of Pentecost. What must we do to be saved? Let the Holy Spirit get their arm and kind of do like that. But, but you don't get behind them and going, get saved or I'll break it off. Okay, you still with me? In fact, according to John in the book of Revelation, Christians follow Christ in his victory primarily by witnessing to the reign of Christ, not by enacting law. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by what? The word of their testimony, not by the passing of legislative laws. We imitate Christ's victory through our word and deed, okay? That, that's one reason why this fusion view is of uh, 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 Christian nationalism is wrong. The second one is that the fusion view doesn't respect the temporal distinction between this age and the age to come. What do I mean by that? We're living in a gap between Christ's resurrection and Christ's second coming. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead? How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again? How many of you know that we ain't there yet, <laughs> right? In other words, we're living in this time frame. And Paul wrote to Timothy, and look, look what he says in 1 Timothy 2. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, not just Christians, not just your family. He said, for all people, for kings, and all those in authority that we may live quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So did you see what, what he said there? It, it's kind of hidden in there if you, unless you're stopping and thinking about it. It's because of this time frame that we live in that we cannot institute or codify God's law into totality. Because if we were to pass laws, if God's rule was that I want my kingdom to come and I want you to force the governments to bow and pass laws and every person must become a Christian and be forced under legal law to, be, to say that they're a Christian, It's wrong. Why would he say then pray for those who are in authority? Why would he say pray for them? Because he recognizes that they are not necessarily believers, but that they have authority in the land. He says, so pray that we might have quiet and godly lives. You see what I'm saying? Look, that day is going to come. When Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth and he will establish the government upon the earth, the Bible says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. It will be built on him. When that time comes, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. But until that time comes, 
It is not our responsibility to pass laws and force Christian values upon people. We live in a, an age of choice. And that's why we're told to pray for those who are in authority. God has honored humans enough to give them time to repent. Why would he say, go forth and preach that repentance might take place if what he really wanted was us to pass laws to force everybody into a confession of faith? It isn't. And the third reason this fusion view of Christianity and Americana being merged together is it goes against the key features of the rights of all Americans regarding religious liberty and diversity. But what, is this, what, is, what does it tell us? The First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting any establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The very thing that Christians are screaming is being taken away from them, we would turn around and want to force on other people. Talk about hypocritical. This form of Christian nationalism overlooks the diversity and religious liberty of many, even of our founding fathers. Not every one of our founding fathers were Christians. And many of them came from different denominations that had different beliefs. They believed in Christ. They believed in the Bible, but they had different beliefs. And, and, and to eliminate dissent, we don't want our voice silenced. So therefore, how could it be biblical that God would want us to silence the voice of others? I mean, I could go really off and talk about the millennial kingdom and, and all of that stuff and, and, and those that will be born during that time. But there's going to come a time that they're going to have to admit either to who Jesus Christ is or is not. The irony to me is that in the world we're living in today, those who are screaming against, quote, Christian nationalism are doing the very thing to Americans, Christians and non-Christians, regarding the agenda to pass laws contrary to natural laws and biblical standards. They're, they're, they're trying to force an agenda upon our children. I was, I wouldn't even defile this sanctuary by putting the video up if you saw it at the first of the week of a parade. That's all I'm going to say. And they're marching through the streets and they're saying, we're coming for your children. We're coming for your children. I said, at least they're honest. The third form of Christian nationalism. I said there's a good, a bad. This is the ugly. And this is the one that dominion of Christianity over American civil life. And, and for some years, 
this has been going through churches in America, and it was it's gone under different philosophies or titles of um, kingdom theology or kingdom dominion theology, and the concept was simply that Jesus Christ could not come back to earth until the church had taken its rightful place and prepared the earth and the, the governments of the earth for Christ to come back and set up his kingdom. And this, this type of Christian nationalism, it advocates for the fusion of Christianity and American civil life by dominion, by force. And while we can affirm our heritage of our founding fathers, and we can celebrate the role that Christianity has had in the founding of our nation, we have to understand that America will never be, please hear me out, a Christian nation. Okay? Listen to me. That philosophy or teaching is, belongs to what is known as a nation state. And the idea is that a state or a nation can be made to be one thing, one belief, one government, one everything. And let me just show you this. I put together a little thing here. The difference between nation states and Christianity. I know it's not real big, but I wanted to get it on one slide. And maybe you could see that. If not, take a picture. Maybe you can enlarge it on your phone. But let me just quickly go down this. <clears throat> In terms of access or entrance, people usually enter nation states by arbitrary historical accident, usually being born. In other words, you know, my grandparents were Italian. They were born in Italy. Okay? People enter Christianity, though, through voluntary, voluntarily intention. I'm not forced to become a Christian, but I choose to become one. Okay? When it comes to uh, geography, uh, nation states are defined by borders, but in Christianity, it's transnational and it's bound by no lines. Right? Defense. Na nation states defend their borders by using military might and building walls. Christianity breaks down ethnic barriers and crosses borders to welcome all who repent and believe. Citizens, nation states, where the citizens are largely uh, mo monocultural. In other words, if, again, I'm using Italy. I, my, that's my part of my, my strong part of my heritage. If I was born in Italy and I lived in Italy, then my, my habits and everything would be Italian. I wouldn't say, you know, back in Ireland, this is the way we did it. I'd say in Italy, this is the way it's done. Like, like that's the only way. Come on. Some of y'all had grandmas like that, right? Some of you are like that yourself. I've had people tell me, I said, why do you do that? I'm a Cajun. 
And what, what, what does that have to do? That's the way we are. Like this, there's no choice. I was born a Cajun. So that's the way I am. I, I, I had a group of young Christians in a church that my wife and I started back in 1985 in South Louisiana. And and they would be going after each other and they'd argue about cultural things. And their, their communities were separated by a bayou or 300 feet of road. And I had people in Vachery and, and Choctaw and Bayou Blue, uh, uh, um, uh, um, Bayou Buff and and. and and all these little communities. I mean, if you took a right this way, you were in this community. If you went straight down the bayou, you were in this community. And they're arguing about even how to say the same word in Cajun. That's not what I mean, man. You don't say it like that, man. I mean like this, you know. They're arguing. And I'm like, why are you like this? Oh, man, we're Cajun. Like, we can't help ourselves. And I said, but the Bible says... Behold, all things become new when you come to Christ. Quit falling back on that excuse. I got to be this way because I'm Cajun. You know, I grew up and heard that Italians were hot-tempered. I believed that in the house I was raised in. And then I grew up and heard if you got red hair, you got a temper too. My mama had reddish blonde hair. So I grew up saying I'm going to have a huge temper. And I tried to live up to it. But then when Christ came into my life, he said, you can't fall back on that anymore. Agendas. Nation states are interested in their own agendas, their own interests. But Christians put the interest of others before themselves. Shortcomings. Nation states see their own shortcomings as not living up to their potential or their ideals. Christians recognize their shortcomings stem that they have a, they're born of a corrupt nature. When it comes to hope, the hope of nation states is utopia by their own ingenuity. Tower of Babel, right? Christianity says utopia will only be found in the work of another, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why I say that if Christian nationalism could be legislated, it, it, it doesn't correspond with what the Bible says. And so Christian nationalists put a love for their country above Jesus, where patriotic Christians love Jesus more than their country. Now, having said all that, Christians should, I almost put must, should actively participate in the political process. American Christians, that means stewarding their, your political responsibilities by voting, should just say by voting. It's amazing the millions of Christians in America professed Christians who won't even go vote, but they'll gripe and complain about the ones that are there. We should vote for, we should support candidates and causes that advance biblical values in the public square. Now, many of you are probably even wondering why 
I'm addressing this. And he said, Pastor, I wish you'd go back to preaching them feel-good, shout, run-around-the-church kind of messages. I'm going to. But not this week. And maybe not next. Because here's my heart. I want you to understand what's really at work. The Bible says that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. And this is one of the ways he's working it. Because of this phrase, Christian nationalist or Christian nationalism, he is using it to not only divide this nation, he's dividing churches. Because they don't want to fall into the camp and be seen as those, like anyone who took place on January 6th in Washington was a Christian nationalist. Or anyone who speaks against the gay agenda, the pride marches, or whatever, they throw you into that pot and call you a racist, a bigot. And so a lot of Christians are pulling back away from it. My thing is, if I understand what's going on, then I have a decision and a choice I have to make. Because I will stand before God one day and give an account of where I have taken my stand. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said to the disciples, Look, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So what is this all about? Because for the ideological left, this is their end game. What do I mean by that? I put my definition up there for you. By radicalizing the term Christian nationalism, secular progressives believe that they can more easily cancel Christians and exclude them from society and the political process. By burning that tattoo on you, they will, they're trying to force you to hide. And like the night when Jesus was arrested and Peter stood around the fire and it came down to a young girl. I know you're one of them because I saw you with him. And Peter cursed and said, I don't know him. I never did. And he ran away. That's what's happening. By putting this tag on you or on me, they hope that we will run and hide and keep our mouth shut. In fact, it's being put out there 
not just by the secular media, but by religious publications, that Christian political engagement is dangerous for America and motivated by evil. And if you don't believe me, here's just one headline. This is from, I won't name the denomination, but it would shock you. Christian nationalism is the single biggest threat to America's religious freedom. Written in a, an article written by one of the largest denominations, Protestant denominations in America today. This is crucial for you and I to understand. 